0: This is the Hockey News Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy of the Hockey News. It is time to preview the 2020 trade deadline. It's going to be a fun podcast today. We're brought to you by our sponsor, Christian Hockey. We are not brought to you by Ken Campbell. He's still away. One more podcast. He'll be back for our trade deadline winners and losers on Monday. For now, it's me and Ryan. We have so much to talk about today, Ryan. Yes. And I think before we start previewing previewing what's to come, let's talk a little bit about what's happened. So I'm talking about a few of the bigger trades that have happened in the last couple of days. Um, and let's just get to it. Let's start with Blake Coleman, mm-hmm. a pretty big name. Uh, and it's a guy who, you know, I was just looking at his game and his his even his build, he's about 5'11", 200 pounds. Kind of reminds me of a young Ryan Callahan. In terms of what he brings to the table, and he's going to the Tampa Bay Lightning, as Ryan Callahan did around the trade deadline, uh, I think now six years ago. Uh, So give me your thoughts on this trade for Tampa and also, of course, for the Devils.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a high price for Tampa Bay to pay. They gave up Nolan Foote and a 2020 first rounder Granted, it wasn't their first-rounder. It was the Vancouver first-rounder they got in the J.T. Miller deal. I, I maintain that there's something cursed with that first-rounder. It keeps getting put into deals that it should not be put into. Like, why did Vancouver have to give up a first-rounder to get J.T. Miller yeah. when Tampa was, was cap-strapped? But regardless... Now it's on the move again to New Jersey. Nolan Foot, a very interesting prospect, huge shot. Um, you know, great asset offensively, particularly on the power play. Won a gold medal with Team Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, I thought he was, you know, he had sort of an up and down tournament. I thought maybe he would have been a little more dominant, and he did miss a game um, due to what was thought to be a headshot at the time. Turns out it wasn't, but. He's gonna have uh, an extended season because his Kelowna Rockets are the Memorial Cup hosts. They're actually struggling. They just fired his dad. Yeah, Adam Foot as coach. Awkward, kind of awkward. But they're they've been struggling. They're a wild card team, and I don't think they're gonna get any higher in the standings unless they go on a miraculous run. But mathematically, I think they're they're kind of in tough in the WHL. Um, but you're gonna get a lot of. Uh, a lot more time for for Nolan to to show off his stuff, and I, I think he's got a, a decent future. He just needs to round things out. Um, with Blake Coleman, I, I think you you know you've made some good points around the office about uh, what he can do for Tampa Bay and, and being sort of a piece. And I'm, I'll let you expand on that. But my my only question is, you know, a lot of people see. The goal scoring he's done this year with New Jersey and say like wow he's a 20 goal scorer already you know on pace for at least 30 it's like well yeah but somebody had to score on the Devils Correct. so I'm a little I I just think people need to have the proper expectations
1: for him and I
0: think you had a pretty good take on that right
1: and he is a late bloomer I think people have to understand you know this is the best he's ever going to be and I think it's a good sell high by Tom Fitzgerald Tommy Fitz He's. Ha- I think he's that really staking it. his claim, yes. uh, you know, it, an interim GM, but I think he's made some really smart moves in the last few days. Uh, and I really like, you know, getting foot and getting a first-round pick. I think it's a coup. I understand why Tampa had to pay that price. I was a bit critical on Twitter, but as people did point out, Coleman has term left he has another year left on his contract and I like Coleman you know for me it's not even the 20 goal scoring that makes him appealing it, 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 that's a, a great bonus but he's useful on the penalty kill and the devils had a penalty kill in the top half of the league this year so far despite being one of the worst teams in the league uh, and Coleman's a short-handed goal specialist I, I wonder if you could put an Anthony Sorelli Blake Coleman PK, Tandem together, which would be Nasty. absolutely devastating. They would Nasty. score all the shorthanded goals. Yes. Uh, and one thing I've been saying, you know, even if I, as I was doing, I think it was Tampa Bay Radio. Actually, someone asked me, "What, what does Tampa have to add?" Um, and I said, last year, I think, you know, when we were speculating, it was it, at the time, it was just a devil's advocate exercise. Okay, if there's a weakness, it was before the, the playoffs started. Right. On this podcast, we said, okay, what's the possible weakness for Tampa Bay? We said, okay, I guess maybe they're not that big and strong forward. Maybe they could be pushed around. And what happened? That series when they fell behind, the one advantage Columbus did have on Tampa last year, they were a much bigger, stronger, meaner team. Mm. And even though Blake Blake Coleman's not a huge guy, he's a thick guy and he likes to play a physical game. Uh, And of course, we know that's why Tampa added Patrick Maroon in the offseason. I think they needed another body to play the heavy game when they get into deep waters. They've been absolutely on fire. I I do think they are the Stanley Cup favorite right now. And I like the foresight by Julian Briesbach to say, you know what, we're not going to get caught in the trenches getting pushed around like we did last year. If things go south and we have some unlucky games, we need to be able to fight and win ugly hockey games too. And I think Blake Coleman's really going to help there. So I think, yes, the price was steep, but Tampa's in win-now mode. you got to go for it, especially after the disaster of last year. So I, I think it's a great trade. Uh, as we get to the next one, just a reminder, uh, Stephen over here, we are live, so if anything big happens, if Chris Kreider gets traded while we're talking, Stephen will pipe in and let us know and we can react live, which will be so exciting. Uh, Tyler Toffoli gets traded. He was one of the most obvious, if not the most obvious trade candidate pending UFA. The Kings are nowhere near the playoffs. Uh... He's a guy who has played in a lot of defensive teams, is, is a goal-scoring talent, but was never put in a situation where he could really blossom and fill the net and you know, score 40 goals, anything like that. Uh, but I think there was a sense that some team could unlock him by putting him in a more offensive situation. I didn't expect that to be Vancouver, <laughs> a team that, yes, is in a playoff spot, but you know, is looking to get its first playoff berth in this stage of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, They've lost Brock Besser. I have some thoughts on that. But Ryan, give me your reaction first.
0: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting deal because it certainly gave Vancouver some nice scoring punch, as you mentioned, into Foley. A great shot, and it gets around the ice pretty well. Um, what I liked about this deal for, for both sides was the, the inclusion of Tyler Madden who, uh, of course, is the son of John Madden, the Stanley Cup winner with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, Tyler Madden currently at Northeastern University. Uh, Huskies are having a great season. They won the Beanpot again. And Tyler Madden, he is a prolific goal scorer. Still needs to round out his game. He's not the biggest kid. So, I mean, he's not a sure thing, but at the same time, you know, Vancouver has had this great northeastern pipeline lately. Adam Godette came from that program. They have uh, Aiden McDonough, who was a you know a, a late round pick that has really blossomed with the Huskies. So they know what they're doing when it comes to that program. From Vancouver's perspective, however, if you're going to deal one of your prospects, a college guy's not the worst idea because he is unsigned. So, more than likely, Tyler Madden, once he leaves Northeastern, which I believe will be this spring. I think I think he's done, uh, simply because he's accomplished so much already. But may, it wasn't 100% that he was going to sign with you. Probably would, but if you're making this deal... At the least, you're not giving up a a sure thing. You're giving up a player that you are probably going to get, but it's not like a kid that was already under contract. For the Kings, they just keep building. They already have a great prospect pipeline. They really do. A lot of guys coming up. Gabe Velarde finally expected to make his NHL debut tonight against Florida. That's great news because he's gone through so many injury woes uh, since he was taken in the first round by Los Angeles. But, you know, they've got Alex Turcotte, they've got Arthur Kaliev, they've got Samuel Fajimo, um and that's just a couple of the yeah, forwards Rasmus they have. Kupari, yeah. Rasmus Kupari. Like, you add Tyler Madden into that mix, and this is how you do a rebuild. You give yourself as many options as possible. So I like, I, I like the return for L.A. And, again, I, I know you're going to get into it, but, you know, is Vancouver just kind of treading water here, substituting Toffoli for Besser? Maybe I, I think they can go around. I just I don't know if the Canucks can go two rounds, and they definitely yeah.
1: can't go three. It's a tough one. you know, I understand the motivation if I'm Jim Benning. You know, if you put, him, put yourself in his shoes, this franchise hasn't been to the playoffs since 2015. You can taste it. You're in a playoff spot. The Pacific is so topsy-turvy that, you know, there's a chance to win two rounds there. So you, maybe you're thinking, you know, we, we've lost Brock Bester for the season. We can't pass up this chance. Toffoli's got a similar enough game. You could say maybe in some ways he's a poor man's Brock Bester. They're already giving him a try right away on the, on the line with JT Miller and Elias Petterson. Mm-hmm. So I get it. You're trying to fill that gap and you're hoping that you can still up your chances of A, making the playoffs, B, making a deeper run. But when you're giving up Madden and a a second-round pick in 2020, conditional fourth, I think, in 2022, for a franchise that is still building, is still in the rebuild phase, and I think this was a, if we make the playoffs, it's a bonus year, Mm -hmm. not a, we must make the playoffs. That would be next year. So I don't know if it was worth giving up Madden. And I don't think, since you've lost Besser, by bringing in, you know, a poor man's Besser, it's not going to put you over the top. Maybe it helps you win around, but to me, it's a case of a GM, Jim Benning, knowing that, you know, maybe for his own job security, he needs to do something. He needs to get this team in the playoffs, and that's not too finger-pointed, Jim Benning. It's, it's a practice as old as time among NHL general managers. You want to get your team to the playoffs, especially if you've been around for a while on a team that hasn't been to the playoffs for a while. You feel like, okay, maybe if I can get to the playoffs, I can build on some success, and I think also... This is a thing we're going to see more and more as the years pass now. It's St. Louis Blues Syndrome. Uh, You look at the Blues, who just got in. They were last place in January. We know the story. You look at Vegas, the expansion team, made it to the Cup Final. The year before that, Nashville, 16th overall seed, made it to the Cup Final. Now every team has that mentality of, well, just get in, just get in, just Mm. get in. So if you're close, you don't want to pass up that opportunity. If you lose your top right winger, goal-scoring right winger, you need to replace him because you don't want to pass up that chance. So I think think that's the way Vancouver's thinking and the way Jacob Markstrom has played this year. He might be someone who's going to steal a series. You just never know. I get it. I I still think it's a little bit of short-sightedness. Next trade that happened this week, uh, Brendan Dillon. He's someone who, again, expiring contract, rugged defenseman, one of the most physical guys in the game among the hits leaders since he's been a San Jose Shark. Uh, And he goes to the Washington Capitals, who are, in this this case, they give up a second, a conditional third. To me, it's no problem because they're in total win-now mode. Won the Cup two years ago. They're a veteran team. And if you... I think they've been a bit defensively deficient of late in the last 10 games or so, so they want to tighten things up, you add Brendan Dillon, but what do you think? Yeah,
0: I like it. I think Brendan Dillon is a pretty good candidate to slot in with John Carlson, and that could, you know, I mean, John Carlson's already having an incredible season, you know, Norris Trophy front runner, but then you give him a safety blanket like Brendan Dillon, and maybe John Carlson has an even higher level to go offensively where Dylan can take care of things in his own end a little bit more sort of like a rich man's Michael Kempney, if you will. So, you know, Kempney drops down in the lineup and you have some very nice depth there if you're the Capitals Uh, and, you know, looking ahead, that rugged game will help I mean, Washington, they're they're a pretty heavy team um, and I wonder if they're sort of looking forward and saying, okay, well what if we have to play Boston in the conference final? Okay, well we can stack up. We got Tom Wilson, we've got Radko Gudas. Now we got Brendan Dillon. We're we're covered off pretty well there. What if we play Tampa? Then it's a, you know, contrasting series where you can pull the Columbus on the Lightning and go heavy and try to get Tampa Bay off its game. So I think, you know, Washington set up pretty well. I don't think they're a bulletproof contender. Just because as good as Elias Samsonov has been in net, like, is he the guy that can right now take you all the way? Or do you give Braden Holtby one more shot because he's been so good in the playoffs in the past? I think that's a big X factor for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, in getting Dylan, I think Brian McClellan has sort of done his due diligence and, and done his job at this deadline
1: Uh, I agree and I I do think we can expect to see Dylan not only in the top four but probably with John Carlson uh, maybe from the get-go but uh, if not from the get-go then eventually because Dylan has applied his trade being the defensive conscience with an elite right shot Norris caliber partner the two guys he played with the most as a shark were Brent Burns and Eric Carlson and I wrote about this the other day you know you think of Brendan Dillon as kind of you know he's a throwback he's a big strong guy six foot four I think he's about two hundred twenty pounds but he, he's not the older guy who can't play who can't skate mm. he's still mobile enough that he can hang just enough with that type of elite partner and, and keep things con if you look at even his individual numbers limiting the quality of chances and shots on goal he, he grades out as, as a above average defensive defenseman uh, so I think it's exactly what the Capitals need and it's funny because I'm working on something uh, for John uh, John Carlson story for a later issue and I was with the Capitals recently talking to Michael Kempney, and Kempney was saying that Carlson is a guy that can bring out the best in whoever's with him. And Kempney pretty much credits Carlson for saving his career. Sure. So it's interesting, you know, if, if Carlson can elevate a Kempney that well. And Kempney, when Kempney came over to Washington, he was a healthy scratch, regular healthy scratch, whereas Dylan's already at a much higher level coming over to pair probably with Carlson. Maybe we'll see something even better out of Brendan Dillon. So I, I think it's a win for Washington. And for the Sharks, it's it's a no-brainer. You know, they, they – it's a disaster what's happened with the first-round pick for the Carlson trade. It wasn't lottery protected. Senders could pick. They could have the first two picks in the draft. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I think the Sharks, they realize, okay, we, we even if we can't get a first-round pick this year, we have to recoup some picks. So that's what Doug Wilson's doing here. It makes total sense. Mm. Uh, a couple more quick ones to go through from the last couple of days. One is Dylan DeMello going to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, going to solidify the right side that has just been absolutely decimated in Winnipeg all year coming over from the Sens. To me, it's a pretty open and shut. We know the Jets, they really want to make the playoffs. They desperately needed help for the right side. Senators, you you know, he was a rental. They're going to try and get another pick. Why not?
0: Yeah, I, I think great value here for Winnipeg and for Ottawa. You know, they're building things really nicely with that pipeline and adding yet another pick just gives Pierre Dorian sort of more bullets uh, to play with this summer. So, uh, this yeah, like you say, this one's pretty open shut.
1: Yeah, and, and I think um, it was last week I was writing about it. It was actually Paul Maurice's extension, but I wanted to point out what Winnipeg had to work with uh, on defense this year. So th- this stat is a week old, but I, I think it still proves the point. The six defensemen who played the most minutes for Winnipeg last year, okay, Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers, Ben Chirat Josh Morrissey, Dustin Bufflin, Dmitry Kulikov. This year, Neil Pionk, Josh Morrissey, Tucker Pullman, Lucas Spisa, Dmitry Kulikov, and Anthony Potato. Mm. And with all due respect to that group, that could be a, a dominant AHL roster, especially when you get down to the bottom three or four guys. Yeah. Uh, so just bringing in DeMello, who's even if he grades out as a middle pair guy, he's. Just a legit NHLer that can help. Mm. Uh, And I think a pretty underrated defender, so why not? Smart trade. And the Jets, I think, are far enough along that they uh, they don't want to miss the playoffs. No. So it's worth sacrificing a pick. Yeah. Uh, one more recent trade, uh, the most recently confirmed one in terms of a bigger name, Alec Martinez. The writing was pretty much on the the wall for him. He has one year left at $4 million, two Stanley Cup rings, brings a lot of experience to the table. And he was someone that was linked to the Golden Knights months ago. It's just sort of being one of those worst-kept secret types of trades. And sure enough, that's where he goes. What do you think he brings to Vegas?
0: Well, I think he's a, a good stabilizer back there. And the Golden Knights, I, I, I think that they're starting to come together. I, I don't think they're finished. Um, they still want another right-handed defenseman, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they can get from the market in that regards. But you know, you talk about Stanley Cup experience. Martinez has his rings from the Kings, and you know, it, he had crucial goals, even though he's not strict. You know, he's not an offensive guy per se. But I think he fits in really well with what Vegas is trying to do right now just in terms of depth and and really loading up because, as we've said before, the West is is so open. What I also like is that, you know, L.A. gets uh, two second-rounders in this deal, but Vegas could afford this. It sounds like a high price for a guy that's, you know, sort of in the back end of his career, as Martinez is. But having said that, Vegas still has a second-rounder this year, and incredibly enough, it was part of the future expansion draft considerations from Pittsburgh. Wow. That's how well that trade went. They're, they're, they're still paying it off. And, uh, and then in 2021, they still have two seconds. They have their own and they have one from New Jersey. So
1: they had five seconds available over the next two drafts.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So they gave up two, they still have three. So I mean, again, I mean, the Golden Knights have been just so good at managing assets in their short history. Hats off to them on this.
1: Right, and I do think expectations must be tempered in terms of what you're getting with Alc Martinez. He's 32 years old. He's past his prime. You're not going to be putting him on your top pair to play, play big-time shutdown minutes, but it was already announced today he's going to be paired with John Merrill to start, which means this is the third-pair guy. Yeah, For a third pair... With someone with that level of experience, why not? Sure. And he's probably going to overall get more sheltered minutes. He's going to be asked to do a little bit less on a deeper team, a better team. So I, I think it's fine. And was it an overpaid technically? Sure it was. But I think that, like you said, Vegas could absolutely afford it. Why not? Yep. Uh, so that kind of finishes our brief roundup of the deals that have happened this week, trade deadline week. And I want to say, by the way, people get a, get frustrated when these deals happen. Oh, it means there's going to be nothing happening. Trade deadline day, it's going to be a dud. But just just count these. It's trade deadline week. They don't all have to happen on the Monday. Sure. Just see the glass is half full. Okay. There you go. Uh, why why wait if you made the deal early? Yeah, exactly. 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 The glass is conditionally full. Of course, that's right. Uh, so now let's get to the names on the big board. Uh, the names that everyone is talking about that are being rumored as potential game-changing pieces. Uh, and we may as well start with the name that's been it's been the name, the big name all year, or at least since Taylor Hall was traded. And that's Chris Kreider. He's got the unique blend of athleticism, goal scoring ability, leadership, crazy speed for a big guy, physicality, and he's a rental, pending UFA. We know that everyone's after him. The names that have been bandied about most recently, of course, are Colorado, Boston, maybe possibly St. Louis. Uh, but what do you think would be an ideal landing spot for Chris Kreider?
0: Well, I, I think any of those would be uh, great ones. The, the ones that I had scrawled down, I, I tried to mix up teams for for all the names we're going to talk about. But I had St. Louis and Boston. Uh, obviously, in some cases, you're going to have to make the money work because a lot of contenders are kind of ca- are kind of cap strapped right now. But you know, you can make hockey trade. Maybe the Rangers eat some salary. You, you can make it work. But you look at St. Louis, they're obviously in their window. They're the defending champions. You know, Tarasenko's missed a ton of time. Um, They're still deep, but I always find that it's nice to have a guy to play for. If you're going Mm -hmm. for a cup, you know, we've seen this a couple of times. You know, Ray Bork was the most famous, but Solane was another. Um, You know, guys where... If you've already won, you say, like, okay, well, let's let's do it one more time because so-and-so doesn't have a ring yet. Um, you know, Chris Kreider's not at the end of his, his career, obviously, but you put him into that situation, and he'd be kind of a fun guy to rally around. Boston makes a ton of sense, too. Obviously, the Bruins would have to make the money work, but, you know, Chris Kreider was a star at Boston College. You know, he's like a local kid. Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider. And, uh... Again, the Bruins, you know, you you look at them, they're obviously one of the top teams in the NHL, but looking at the playoffs and, like, Pittsburgh's looking really scary right now. Tampa Bay's looking really scary right now. If you're the Bruins, I don't think you want to just, like, waste away the season without trying your best to beef up at the deadline. And I think that the Bruins need more scoring depth. Chris Kreider would be perfect for that. Yeah,
1: I think you're right, and I have Boston as the number one suitor for Chris Kreider. Uh, And I I just think that... There's a, there's a degree of pressure on the Bruins right now, uh, just as a team that you know was one win away from the Stanley Cup Final on their home ice. They were so close. And like you said, the competition around them is getting stronger and stronger, and Tampa Bay just added Blake Coleman, uh, and, and Pittsburgh added Jason Zucker. And to me, the, the Bruins, I think you need that extra piece, that put-you-over-the-top piece. I think this is the definition of a team that can afford to wade into the rental market. If they can make the cap work, mm. but because you're still in that window, you only you know every year might be the last year of Zidane Chara, Patrice Bergeron is I think 34 years old now. Brad Marchand is north of 30. You gotta you gotta take your shot, and I know it'll be difficult to make it work, uh, but they pulled off a pretty impressive trade last year to make it work with Charlie Coyle. I think they can do it again, uh, and to me that's the most logical fit. And it, this is so, so intangible, but doesn't it feel like Chris Kreider just fits in with Boston Bruins hockey? Totally. He does, right? Totally. Yeah, he, the physical style. I think just he, like Charlie Coyle, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the next name to look is another name. Um, it's another pending UFA. This is not a guarantee. I mean, it's similar to Chris Kreider. Both guys, it's still possible that they decide to resign. But in both cases, I think both are both teams are going to get a ton of offers. And both guys, you probably have to trade rather than risk losing for nothing. And this one is Jean-Gabriel Pajot of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he's been... Just a revelation this year. 24 goals, winning 53% of his faceoffs, A demon shorthanded. And he is a pretty obvious dream fit as a third-line center on a contender. Uh, and I do wonder, you know, no matter how much you love him in Ottawa, do you have to sell this chip high? Because I think he can probably bring in a first-round pick.
0: You know what? If it's a competitive marketplace, you're probably right. And thats I, I think you're right. Like, if you're Ottawa... You know, clearly Pajot is a great fit. um, But I almost wonder if the senators are like, look, man, we're not going to be good for years. Like, (laughs) don't stick around on our, you know, for us. I think Edmonton would be a really good yeah, fit.
1: I've got them written down too.
0: Yeah, you know, you look at the Oilers right now, and they've been winning with McDavid out, which is a great sign. The fact that Drysdale has found chemistry with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto is awesome, because then when McDavid comes back, you have two really good lines going. If Pajot's your third-line center, that's pretty deadly. And again, you look at that division out in the Pacific, it feels like anything could happen right now. So for me, I mean, with the firepower that the Oilers have, you add a guy like Pajot who can do a couple of different things for you, and I could see them getting to the at least the conference final. I, I don't think the Oilers can win the Stanley Cup this year, but I think they could make a pretty nice run.
1: Yeah, just based on the top-end talent they have. and yeah, You wonder – is there a way to if you're Edmonton, if you're Ken Holland, who has said that, you know, he's at least going to try and make some moves, is there a way to get Pajot without giving up a first round pick? I wonder if there is, and it might rhyme with guessy Ju Jujarvi. <laughs> I was wondering what non puliarvi <laughs> version you were gonna come it's up like, with. Could you get him? could you could you go Pouliarve in a second round pick to get Pajot? I wonder. Ooh. And I I do I know that Riley Sheehan I'd make that deal. I think it might be a fair deal, and, yeah. and, and I think Sheehan Riley Sheehan has been Pretty decent, emerging as the third-line center in Edmonton, but all that trade would mean is that Riley Sheehan is a, quite a nice fourth-line center, which is where he's better cast, I am Sure. So I do think the Oilers are fit. The other team I would keep an eye on is the Philadelphia Flyers because Nolan Patrick... You know, We thought we had the depth chart figured out with with Sean, Sean Couturier up the middle, Kevin Hayes who they brought in, and they brought in Kevin Hayes to take pressure off Nolan Patrick and to solidify the depth chart, mm. and then you had Nolan Patrick in, in supposedly set up to be a, in third-line matchups, and I think Philly's forward depth is looking really good, but we haven't gotten to see any Nolan Patrick because of the migraine problem, yeah. which is so, it's murky. We have no idea. He could be ready to play soon. He could be out for the rest of the year. It could be a career-threatening problem, like we saw if you're a football fan with Percy Harvin back in the day. Uh, so I, I do think that If the Flyers are are certain that they're not going to get a meaningful contribution from Nolan Patrick, I think Pajot would be a lovely fit there to be their third-line center. Um, And and the Flyers are a team, again, they're right in the thick of it. And that's what's fascinating this year. There's just so much parity in the league that every team, I I feel like there are 20 teams that if they choose to can behave as buyers. Mm. And the the Flyers, last time I looked at the standings, you have to keep checking by day. It's true. uh, But they are in a playoff spot. I I just think based on the depth chart and the, the hole with Patrick gone, You could push Scott Lawton down, and I think Pajot will be a really nice fit on the third line. Here's another guy who I think could be a real difference maker, but we don't know for sure if he's going to get traded. He has a year left on his deal. It's Kyle Palmieri in New Jersey. Uh, Since he became a devil, he averages 30 goals per 82 games. Really accurate shooter, good power play guy. I think he could help a lot of teams, but who do you see as a good fit for Palmieri?
0: Well, it's funny. We were just talking about Philly. I I think the Flyers could use him simply because... I think it's got to be all hands on deck if the Flyers are going to make a run at a playoff spot, and you know, just getting a little more scoring oomph would really help, especially in a year where where Claude Giroux is is not having the success that we're accustomed to him having. Boston, you know, we already talked about the Bruins needing a little more secondary scoring. I think Palmieri would be a a great fit there, and then Colorado is another team we've already mentioned, and I think we'll mention again, you know, with Miko Rantanen out for looks like. You know, let's call it long term. Um, I think you need to replace him because Colorado has a great shot of doing some damage. Palmieri would be a guy who, you know, completely different kind of winger, but still a guy that can get you goals on the regular.
1: For sure. I do wonder, uh, St. Louis, obviously things are a bit more complicated because with Jay Bomeister's situation, they have to figure out what's going on with their defense. Uh, But Vladimir Tarasenko, he is skating. They still don't know the exact timeline. It's looking pretty good for him being ready for the playoffs, from what I understand. But if they get some additional, more accurate information in the next few days, and they realize that they can't assume for sure they're going to have Tarasenko for the playoffs, I think Palmieri would be a good fit to pretty much play the same kind of role on the right side. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the team I like the best for Kyle Palmieri is a team that went from being an offensive juggernaut last year to struggling to score this year. The Calgary Flames, Mm -hmm. and I think it gives you some nice flexibility. You can, if you want to break up, you know, you can between Palmieri and Lindholm, you'd have two good trigger man on two different good scoring lines it'd be interesting to see what Paul Mary could do you could put him on the line with Johnny Gaudreau uh, and juggle your lineup uh, but the Flames to me on paper I I didn't expect the offense to drop off the way it did but it did and and they're a team that's under I think tremendous pressure because after winning the conference last year then getting surprisingly taken out in the first round if they are to regress and slide out of the playoffs I think that puts a lot of heat on Bradford living and with with term left on Palmieri's deal, I, I think it's it's an interesting fit for a team that, you know, you have your Monaghan, your Johnny Gaudreau in your window right now. So you get two shots with Palmieri there, two possible playoff rounds. So I think he'd be an interesting fit in, in Calgary. Mm-hmm. The next name, similar to Palmieri, a guy with an extra year left on his deal, uh, having what's going to be a career year, 54 points in 62 games on Montreal Canadiens right now is Thomas Tatar. Mm-hmm. Pretty responsible two-way winger. Uh, and to me, it's someone that I think Marc Bergevin should consider selling high. What do you think?
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, you know, you were just talking about Calgary. I think the Flames would be a pretty nice landing spot for him, uh, given that they haven't been scoring at the clip that we thought they would be, particularly a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. Um Colorado is another option where, you know, you're trading outside of your conference if you're Mark Bergevin, and some GMs don't care about that. Um, but just for the sake of argument, you know, because we've been talking about a couple of different wingers here who can score, um, I, I think the Avs would be an option uh, and, you know, the Flames could, could use Tatar.
1: Well. I, I think Colorado is my, my team for Tatar because one thing that is distinctive to me about Tatar, he can play both wings. To the point that when we're entering him in, we're, when we're making our magazine and building rosters, Tatar drives me crazy because he, <laughs> he's listed as a different wing everywhere depending on what which publication or resource you're using because of the fact he is that versatile. And I think that's a great fit for Colorado because Rantanen's had all the injury problems. The the style that Gabriel Landeskog plays, he's always a threat to get hurt again. And I think bringing in a piece like Tatar, you can put him on the right side to replace Rantanen. Rantanen comes back. Then you can try. You can move Tataro over to the left, mm-hmm. and I think it's just it's a very useful chess piece. And Eunice Donskoy has a guy who can play both wings as well. It's worked out very well. Even Andrei Berkovsky. I think a team that has multiple players that can be maneuvered that way uh, is deadly. And I think Colorado more than most teams could really use that because of their injury situation. Also, there's just. I can't stop singing the praises of the avalanche. There's just no team better set up to do anything right now than the Avs. <laughs> right. They have so many good prospects. They have so much cap space. They're a very good team already. They just have so much malleability at the trade deadline, I think more than any other team because they have that surplus of guys. You know, when you have Bowen Byram and you have Samuel Girard and you have Kyle McCarrie, you can dangle a Connor Timmins if you need to. Yeah. If you're looking to trade a prospect or – you know, you've built such a good farm system. If you're Joe Sackick, you can dangle a first-round pick. That's no problem. And you can take on cap space. You can take on term. There's just so much that the Avalanche can do that I think they're a team that could be kind of a big stack at the poker table mm. at the trade deadline sh- should they want to be. Right. Uh, one more name in the rumor mill among, among the bigger guys uh, that are possible possibilities to be traded. I think this one's a virtual certainty if he's healthy enough. It's Sammy Vatanen, who currently is not playing. He had a problem after blocking a shot. It's his foot, I believe. But from what I understand, when we reach crunch time, he will be available. It might just be a matter of a week or two. Expiring deal. Uh, and he's a puck mover. He can play the right side, right shot. So there will be suitors. Mm. Who do you have for Sammy Vatnick?
0: Well, you know, I look at Winnipeg, and, uh, you know, we talked about their defense core uh, and just the damage it took in the off offseason. I, I think they need some some warm bodies and Vatnin, obviously more than just that he's a a, a pretty accomplished defenseman Toronto is another option you know you look at that left side and you know Vatnin, you know he's not a, a bruiser or anything like that and you know Toronto obviously more of a finesse team overall but again I think you know for those two teams both the Jets and Leafs are kind of fighting for their playoff lives right now and for both teams it would be a big disappointment if they missed. So if you can get a Sammy Vatten in, at least he's gonna help you until maybe you get some reinforcements, at least in the case of Toronto with Morgan Riley. I don't know don't really know what Winnipeg can do in that regard unless Dustin Bufflin makes a, a miracle comeback. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think Vatnin would be a, a nice fit for either of those two teams.
1: And he's a guy also, even though he's a right shot, he's proven the ability to play both sides. Same with Alec Martinez. So you, so you can mm-hmm. move him around. I believe he's still a natural righty, but he has played the left side before. Uh, I have a few different candidates, some because of injury situations. So with Carolina Hurricanes, with Dougie Hamilton out, mm-hmm. we know that Sammy is he can be a secondary power play quarterback, a stopgap, and maybe he fills that hole. And, and maybe you get Dougie Hamilton back in time for the playoffs. I'm not sure what the timeline is. Another team that's just lost a crucial right-handed piece long-term is the Columbus Blue Jackets, Seth Jones. Yeah. And if you're Yomiro line and you realize, well, we're, we're in it again, do you consider making that move to try and replace Jones temporarily? And then when the playoffs come, suddenly you have more depth because mm-hmm. Jones is back maybe in time. I think eight to ten weeks was the timeline for him and maybe Vatanen just stops the bleeding enough to keep you in the playoff picture, and then when Jones is back, your blue line is significantly upgraded. So that's someone I'd look at. Another team, their blue line doesn't wow me, especially on the right side, is New York Islanders. Their power play is 22nd in the NHL, and I've always been a big Ryan Pulak guy, but other than that, I, I think they could use a little more... Vavavoom offensively. <laughs> I don't know why I said Vavavoom, <laughs> but you know, it's a thing, apparently. <laughs> Steven's like, what? <laughs> hey, it's, it's an expression, I think. You've been hanging uh, out with Michael Bublé yeah. too much. <laughs> uh, I guess so. Uh, but I do think that's a team that could really use, use Sammy Vatanen. So mm. those are the big names. Uh, after the trade in line, of course, we're going to break down the winners and losers in terms of who got the big names and after after the dust has settled, but let's talk a little more about some specific teams. So Ryan, I want you to give me right now, which team is the team under the most pressure to make a move, the team that must, and I'm talking about in more of a buyer context, ideally, yeah. uh, but who do you have as the hot seat team?
0: I've got the Calgary Flames, and it all goes back to expectation coming into this year. We thought they would be, you know, the class of the Pacific or at least close to it. And it's been a rough go. And you can't pin it all on the Bill Peters debacle. I mean, you know, Jeff Ward has been a, a fine caretaker for the team. But minus ten goal differential right now, Johnny Gaudreau having his—I'm going to call it his worst season ever. I mean, he might beat his rookie pace of scoring, but when you're a rookie, I mean, expectations are a lot lower than when you're a superstar. You know, he's got 50 points in 61 games. That's just not going to cut it if you're Johnny Gaudreau. Sean Monahan's having an off year, and you know, Mark Giordano's hurt. So you need something to get your team in a good headspace. And, I mean, the Flames are still very much in it, so that's the positive of this situation. But I think they need to make a big move to just get things back on track and to put themselves into a position where at least you can go into a first-round series and say, we've got a chance here. Because I'm not sure if you can say that right now.
1: Yeah, and it does kind of highlight just how exciting the Pacific Division is. A lot of people like to criticize the Pacific Division because it's the weakest division in the league even if it is, it's also the most wide open division. Yeah. And almost every team in that division, or at least you know five, five teams in that division, are right in it and have the ability to be buyers, and, and rightfully so, because they all have a shot mm-hmm. to get in there, including Calgary. Uh, I, I I wanna give an honorable mention to the pressure team for Boston, even though they're such a good team right now, but just the pressure to respond mm. to Tampa's upgrades. Uh, but I do think, and, you know this is probably a boring answer, but it, it's, it doesn't make it any less true. There's tremendous pressure on the Toronto Maple Leafs and Kyle yeah. Dubas, there's nowhere to hide right now. Uh, because the team, they started 11-4 and four under Sheldon Keefe, 11-7-4 since. They're 9-8-3 and three in the year 2020. Uh, and there are some scapegoats. The injuries have been bad. You have Andres Janssen up for the year, Morgan Riley still not back. Ilya Mikheyev, the really scary it's injury cut by the skate, and he, he was really good. And Leafs goaltending has been horrific, and that includes Frederick yeah. Anderson the last couple months. Uh, it's cost the team wins between Anderson and Hutchinson. It, it legitimately, legitimately has cost the team some wins. Regardless, when you have the amount of talent you have on the team, when you have $40 million tied up in, in four players, four forwards, and you're out in the first round three straight years, to to the possibility of losing in round one again is scary enough for the Leafs and Dubas' future, but the possibility of not even making the playoffs in this market, <laughs> yeah. and it's not going to be easy to manipulate around the cap, and, and we know the Leafs need that right shot defenseman, uh, but they don't They don't just need, like, they don't need, to me, to me it's not just a semi-vatnin, they need someone who can do more. Matt Dumba is the name that has been brought up, mm. and I think they need someone of that caliber, and that's not going to be easy to get. The Leafs have traded away first-round picks. They don't have a first-round pick this year to dangle, so it's not, in terms of Actual capital, even their prospect capital is relatively depleted compared to what it was a few years ago. It's not going to be an easy move to make. And I also think another element that the Leafs need is is just more jam and competitiveness. And I'm not going to be the, the old school thinker who's saying, you know, oh, the Leafs are quitting out there. You know, because I, I'm more of a proponent of analytics and I do think that there's been some bad luck as well. But that said, it doesn't have to be black and white. I do think anyone can admit that the Leafs don't have much fight right now, and they're relying way too much on the top line to do a lot of scoring. So someone like a Josh Anderson, someone who can kind of mm. smack you in the mouth a little bit, I, I think the Leafs could really use that for the bottom six. They've added it with Kyle Clifford, but I'm thinking someone more like a third line type of guy with all due respect to Clifford, someone with a little bit more skill. Mm. Blake Coleman is the type of guy they really could have used. I don't think they can afford to get someone of that caliber. They have to use their, whatever capital they have left has to be used on a defenseman. Mm. But whatever happens, it's not gonna be easy, I think the Leafs are under tremendous pressure. Uh, one more category before we get to some questions, and that is, give me a sleeper name. We've talked about some big names on the block, but who's someone who isn't a guarantee to get traded? Maybe it, maybe the name hasn't even been bandied about as a, a popular rumor mill name. Mm. But who do you have that could be a surprise trade candidate?
0: All right, so for me, it's Tyson Berry in Toronto. I know that there have been talks. He's a right shot D, He's, his cap hits only $2.75 million, which is very digestible at this time of year when everything is pro rated. But it would have to be a hockey trade because the Leafs are obviously still in it and they're not exactly flush on defense as is. Mm-hmm. But having said that, if they could get assets on the back end that's maybe a different type of defenseman, um, there's certainly interest out there in Tyson Berry. So that's my, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure. But if we're talking sleepers,
1: that that's mine. And maybe are the Leafs a sleeper seller if they lose their next couple games before yeah. and they just they trade Tyson Berry for futures. Who needs Jake Muzzin? Yeah, you never know. We got him. Uh, my guy is Dustin Bufflin. Uh, and I think you know it's a it's a pie in the sky trade, but it's not as risky as a lot of people might think. And it was Bufflin for Berry. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, you never know. Actually, that could kind of work. <laughs> uh, but but it was Frank Saravalli who pointed out. You know, if you acquire Dustin Bufflin and he can't play for you, with the ankle injury, he can't recover in time, you suspend him without pay, and it's not going to hurt you in terms of your your financial situation. Uh, the trade would have to happen by Monday for him to be eligible to play in the playoffs, so you don't know if he's going to be able to skate in time. But I just think there's no player on the market with that offers a, a, a larger potential gain for what he brings to the table. I've said this for years. There's no other Dustin Bufflin. There's no other player like him during the time he's been in the league, I've never seen a player quite like him with his ability to be a real cowboy with the puck, but he's just an absolute physical monster who just crushes people with hits. He's, a, he's he, he can play big, big, big minutes without getting tired. He has a monster shot. He does so many different things on the ice. He can take over a game, and I think that it's worth the gamble. I don't know what a fair price would be for his services, but it's not going to be particularly high considering that we don't know if he's even going to play. I think it's worth the home run swing mm-hmm. for some teams. So that's a guy that I think you have to keep an eye on. And the pro-rated cap hit is less than $2 million going forward for the rest of the season for, for Dustin Bufflin. Let's get to some questions now. <laughs> I started, Jeremy Buechard says, Matt Larkin out here sounding like Snoop Dogg in NHL 20. Was it the Vavavoom? I, I hope that not. Fun. I'm assuming that's oh, it. Oh, for shell? I don't know. Maybe. Or is it, or is, does my voice sound like Snoop Dogg? No. Yo, it's Are you I'm not. Never mind. i got to stop doing Snoop like <laughs> <laughs> Dogg. Uh so let's start with a question from austin gagne and austin asks do the canadians trade jeff petrie with the market being set at this surprisingly high level the question technically included thomas tatar but we already covered tatar so Mm. i cut Tatar out and i'm gonna i'm gonna say something strange here because i'm all for trading thomas tatar i think you you don't trade jeff petrie my reasoning being there's always the premium on the right shot defenseman you have a term uh, you're left with petrie He's going to be a hot, hot rental next year if Montreal is still out of the playoffs. But I do wonder if you know Cole Caulfield makes the team next year, if Alexander Romanov makes the team next year. What if this Habs team is a lot better next year and suddenly you're like, ooh, we kind of need Jeff Petrie. We can make a run. I don't think you have to make the decision on every one of your big names this year. Mm -hmm. So maybe you trade Tatar if you're for the Habs, but then you you hold on to Petrie, and that's another chip to kind of worry about next year. So Mm -hmm. I would hold Jeff Petrie. That, that's
0: interesting. I don't think the Habs will compete next year because they still don't have a number one center. I think Nick Suzuki can be a very good number two center next year, but they still have some pretty big holes. Having said that, I, I do agree with your logic. Maybe maybe Jeff Petrie is the kind of guy you trade at the draft when you have a bigger pool of suitors, and the draft is in Montreal, so that'll be kind of fun. Um, Cole Caulfield, I, I don't know... If he's going to leave or not, I, part of me thinks he should do one more year at Wisconsin, especially because the Badgers have been so bad in the second half. They're probably not going to make the tournament. Um, I wouldn't mind him playing some meaningful college games next year. Um, but for the, re- and for the record, Montreal already has 12 picks in this draft. Woo! It's going to be a fun weekend for Trevor Timmons. Um, so they, they don't need to add picks right away, but picks are fun so if if they do um that would just increase their haul on home ice
1: for what it's worth i'm all in on nick suzuki number one center rookie 25 points in his past 28 games
0: yeah he's great
1: he's doing stuff yeah he'll 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 get there i
0: think he can be a number one center um i just think if you're pinning your hopes on him next year then there that might be folly
1: that's fair Next question from Cody Thompson. Do the Red Wings get anything for their pending UFAs? And the names he references are Mike Green, Jimmy Howard, Trevor Daly. I don't think we're going to see a market for Trevor Daly personally. Uh, Mike Green, he's back, and he can still move the puck. And I think if the price was really low... Uh, and I, I do know, I mean, there's already, I can't take credit, of course, but it's Elliot Freeman that had the report that there could be interest from the Washington Capitals in Ooh. bringing Mike Green back. and That's the guy you win a cup for. That's the guy you win a cup for, exactly. Yep. Tying it all together. Yep. And there's been rumors as well that Freeman reported that the Capitals are kind of all out now on Nicholas Jensen, so maybe they're going to want to trade him, which would open up a spot on the right side mm. for Mike Green. Uh, and Jimmy Howard, it's it's been tough. and. I, I think I don't think I had hit puberty the last time Jimmy Howard won a game. Oh, That's an exaggeration, of course. But Howard burn. Yeah, but it's been a really rough go for Howard. But it's so hard to evaluate any player on this historically bad team. Mm. I do think he could be depth. I'll put it this way. <laughs> that sounded so sad. He could be depth. But if a team suffers a catastrophic injury to its starter mm. in the next few days... And it causes everyone to shift up the depth chart. You could have Jimmy Howard to be your number basically your number three who's a temporary number two?
0: Yeah. I I think that Jimmy Howard would still be a good backup mm-hmm. on a playoff team. Um my only concern with, with Mike Green is his cap hits five point three million dollars. And again, it's gonna be prorated at this late of the season, but whichever team would take him on would have to have that cap space and the willingness. Um, to to trade for Mike Green. So if you're gonna trade a guy like that, I think you're only gonna get like maybe a fifth or sixth rounder or something like that. With with Howard, four million dollars, which is still not great. But if if you want to play safe for a long playoff run, maybe say okay, well it's worth it. And again, you're not gonna get much. Maybe you get like a third or a fourth rounder for Jimmy Howard, um, Daily. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, he'd be a depth guy. You're probably going to get, like, a seventh rounder at best. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, next question is from Matt Bowringer. Will a team look at signing a free agent instead of a trade, like what Boston did with Brian Gianta a few seasons back? The names he throws out there are Palmanville, Thomas Vanek, Faneuf, Adam McQuaid and Jamie McGinn. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen because the circumstances with Gianta were very unique. Uh, we know, of course, that if if a guy's going to be eligible for the playoffs, he would have to sign by the trade deadline. But what's different about Gianta is that the Bruins had an evaluation period, which was the Olympics. You got a chance to see Gianta play. Gianta was in shape. Mm. He just played the Olympics. I think, I think they were, he was just back from the Olympics. It might have just been a couple of days difference, if I remember correctly, uh, when they signed him. So that was a totally unique case. I'm going to say no.
0: I'm going to say no as well because I think there are too many defined sellers this year. There's a lot of teams that are like, we are not in it. Mm. So I, I think that kind of helps the market where last year it felt like there were so many teams that were still within striking distance that there wasn't as much activity.
1: Okay. Uh, this one is just from Bear. Bear. This person just calls themselves Bear. And on top of the intense name, the question is pretty intense, pretty presumptive. When do the Oilers get Mike Hoffman? I when hope, do the Oilers get Mike Hoffman? I hope
0: this was from an actual bear. <laughs>
1: yeah, it could be. And this is the weird thing about Mike Hoffman, the constant Mike Hoffman trade rumors. The, basically, the minute he became a Florida Panther, he was suddenly on the block. And I don't buy them. I know that they're reported. That, you know, there's been lots of talks and legitimate you know, reports that the Panthers are gonna—they could l- at least listen to offers of Mike Hoffman. He has a ton to offer with his speed, his goal-scoring ability. But you're right in the middle. I feel like these rumors are almost disrespectful to the Panthers. Yeah, the Panthers totally. They're in the middle of a playoff push. They're yeah. I'm spitting. I'm so we angry. want to win Damn. too. They're not sellers. And yeah. I, I read some stuff saying, oh, we could, the, Oilers, the Oilers could dangle Yarvey. but that's a futures trade. That's yeah. a trade to a team that's a seller. The Panthers are in it, and based on their roster talent, they're a team that I think could be a sleeper to make a run. I just, even though Hoffman's an expiring contract, he also has a ten. I think it's a ten-team no-trade
0: list which probably includes Edmonton
1: Edmonton. (laughs) and he said he doesn't want to leave so he's got some control you need him you need him I do not think he'll be traded I'll be surprised I've been wrong about plenty of things before but I do not think Mike Hoffman will be traded before Monday
0: no I agree I mean the Panthers are in the thick of it and I mean they have a ton of pressure to make it too because it's been a long time since Florida has been a relevant playoff team I, I think if you're an Edmonton fan you know as we said earlier you're looking at you know like Palmieri, Tatar, uh, maybe even Chris Kreider, for that matter. Like, there are plenty of options on the wing for the Oilers to explore.
1: Fair. Uh, We'll take a few more. This one's from Thomas Fournier. Uh, we covered off the, the Wings before, but maybe we can talk about a specific name. So he says, do you see the Wings making moves? Uh, Andreas Athanasiu. He mentions Mike Green, Jonathan Bernier, Trevor Daly. Uh, so I, I think it's fair to focus on Athanasiu and, and maybe Bernier. Bernier mm. might be someone who has more value than Jimmy Howard at this sure. stage of his career. Uh, but I am intrigued by Andreas Athanasiu because there's been contentious contract negotiations in the past yep. with him in the Wings. There's no loyalty uh, baked in from Steve Eisman because Eiserman came in. He's not, he, it's not like Eisenman drafted yeah, yeah. to see and he's someone who he's not he's not far removed from a 30 goal season and he's got really good speed really good hands he's he's a tool that if you put in the right situation you could ignite him into something pretty useful mm-hmm. so that's that's a piece that I think a, a certain team should be interested in pursuing
0: yeah and it's funny because you think about NHL franchises and I could see a lot of them saying, "Well, if he was on our team, we could really unlock <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something." You know, famous last words in in some cases, but I think with Athensio, it rings true. And I wonder if Ken Holland would take Andreas Athensio in Edmonton.
1: Ooh, that would be imagine him playing
0: with McDavid. The speed would just be like, "Oh my god!" The speed, the goal scoring. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, Ken Holland knows him, so I, I don't. I don't know specifically what. Holland and a, Athenasiou's relationship was like. But, I mean, it's kind of a nifty fit there.
1: He's Athenasiou is, is maybe Steven can back me up on this, he's a classic EA Sports video game guy that you pick up on your team because he has really <laughs> high speed and deking ratings and you and he, you turn him into a 50 goal scorer on your team but you get him for cheap. Is that correct? Yeah, it's funny because the one guy I had that was like that in on nine was Chris Stewart. He was the fastest guy in the eye. Chris States Stewart, like, really? Wow. Like, like, I got him to 99 overall. He was my best player. Interesting. Interesting. Cool cool story, bro. Yannick Weber, very good, too, no matter what position to
0: put him. What? You just like Swiss guys.
1: Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Uh, Next question is from Teal Town, USA. I'm going to guess that's the Bay Area, and it's a question about the Sharks. What else will the Sharks do to make up for losing Pavelski, Nyquist, Donskoy, and overvaluing their youth? This would have been a good question in the summer, even. It's still relevant now. And I hope this isn't a boring answer, but I think the answer is swallow their pride. And what I mean is... Like you said, Tiltan USA, I think there was not overvaluing of youth and there was a projection of guys like Chmielewski or Alexander True, whoever it was going to be, yeah. assuming they were going to be ready to jump into the lineup uh, when their depth was absolutely decimated. And I think right now we're seeing sort of the crumbling of a mini empire. You can't call it a full empire. They didn't win a cup. But they've been very successful for a decade and, and a half. They got there. I think they – and I, I think – The Brendan Dillon trade is sort of a a sign from Doug Wilson that he's finally waving the white flag, at least for this season. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Sometimes you have to take a step back to go forward. The last time the Sharks, they missed that one playoff run. I remember because I remember interviewing Logan Couture right after, and he was like, "This sucks. This sucks. I'm playing golf. This sucks." But they got Timo Meyer because of that. Yeah. Because that was the one time they were picking inside the top ten. So I I do think, you know. (laughs) When I say swallow their pride, because what I mean is, you know, it's not like you can pick in the top 10 this year because that's Ottawa's pick. So maybe you have to be bad for another year or two and just sell some pieces, amass some picks, yeah. rebuild. The
0: oh God, it's so tragically ironic that the year that it all fell apart is the one where they don't have the selection because, I mean, part of this is injuries as well. So I mean, I agree with your logic, Matt. The, the problem is next year, they might just be mediocre. Logan Couture is healthy. Eric Carlson's healthy. You know your goaltending can't possibly be worse.
1: Thomas Hurdle,
0: yeah, Thomas Hurdle's back. So you're gonna be like okay, and it's like they might not be a playoff team, but maybe they're only picking like 11th or 12th overall. Now, granted, you can still get a good player at that pick, but ah, oh, man, it's just it's just super rough in San Jose right now, yeah. and I mean. Fortunately, I think they built up a lot of goodwill in that market based on how many times they've been in the playoffs and the fact that they did go to a cup final recently. But I can't think of many positives right now. I, I understand their logic. This summer they wanted to see what guys like, as you said, Chemilevsky, True, Chekovich, you know, Noah Gregor. Dylan Gambrell, um, you know, Jokin Blitzfeld. Like, they had a huge cast of youngsters that were all around the same age that they wanted to see if somebody could sort of push through and be that next Timo Meyer, that next Kevin LeBanc. And it it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess now you kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, Let's reassess and see what we can do moving forward because this is this is a lost season in every respect.
1: Yes, and I, I do wonder if we're going to look back on the Eric Carlson trade as Doug Wilson's Icarus trade. He flew too close to Ooh. the sun. And the chain reaction that's caused it, because now they're— committing $11 million to Eric Carlson, which meant they couldn't keep Joe Pavelski, and they're not going to have cap flexibility to chase more upgrades in the summer, and they gave away Josh Norris, and they gave away a first-round pick in the trade to get Carlson, whose body is breaking down, his ankle's already rebuilt, now it's his thumb, and theoretically, based on his age, the majority of the contract is going to play out during his decline years, so even though I've been a huge fan of Eric Carlson throughout his entire career, and I understand the logic behind trying to get him, it's a sad possibility that he's gonna drag down the franchise yeah. just because of his price tag. yeah, And because of his financial price tag and also what it cost to get him. Uh, one more question, last one, it's from S3RP. S3RP asks, with the limited assets available to the stars this year, do you expect them to try to add something? Uh, I, I do think that Jim Neal is someone who, you know, he's not necessarily always swinging for the biggest fish at the deadline, but he knows his team is very much in win-now mode, and I think he's always chasing. He's 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 not rental-averse. They did it with mm. Matt Zagrell last year. I could see him wading into those medium waters. And you know what? Maybe he places a call to his old buddy, Steve Eiserman, from the Detroit days and mm. says, hey, we could use a little speed. How ah. about you fire Andreas Athanasiu over my way? I think I could see the stars... Targeting someone of that caliber, so mm. not uh, not someone who's going to cost major prospect or draft capital, because I don't think the Stars' farm system is that strong right now, mm. that deep. Uh, but maybe maybe someone who costs them a, a you know second, third, fourth round pick. Yeah,
0: and I mean I look at the Stars right now, and their depth is a lot better than it had been in previous years, and part of that is some of the young guys stepping into bigger roles and, and really embracing those roles. So like Ruby Hintz was the first, you know Dennis Gurianov has finally arrived. Mm-hmm. And you know they knew it would take a while, but now he's here. You know Jason Dickinson is a, you know a, a pretty versatile, useful player. So they're, they're filling they're filling roster spots out now. And yeah, I, I could see like a minor move, but I, I could also see them standing pat and saying, you know, we're in a good situation here. We don't have a lot of, like, egregious contracts. Let's let's keep everything clean and see what our kids can do. Let, let's try to reward our kids um, by having them play prominent roles.
1: Okay. Well, thanks, Ryan. That concludes the trade deadline preview for 2020. We will be back in a few days armed with a fired-up, probably tanned Ken Campbell to grade the winners and losers of the trade deadline. So we'll see you on Monday. Thank you for listening and watching. back.